0: Man, we serve a good God. We just got nothing to complain about, although we do, we really have nothing to complain about. Our troubles and trials and what we think is so awful and reasons that we can't do this or that, man, we put things in perspective. Whew! We're not in a hospital somewhere. We're not in a nursing home somewhere. We have two feet and we can walk. Amen? Amen? there's people that would love to be in church this morning but they can't get out of the house they can't get out of the hospital amen Exodus chapter 32 and Revelation chapter 20 <clears throat> Exodus 32 33 says and the Lord said unto Moses whosoever has sinned against me him will I blot out of my book what book are we talking about I'm thankful that we don't get doctrine out of one verse. Or, like some people do, they'll take a verse that's in between two verses where no verse is and make a complete series on it. Turn to Revelation chapter 20, verse 12. Let's see what this book is about. We'll use scripture to interpret scripture. In the Revelation 20, 13. Or twelve, Revelation twenty twelve, and I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened, and another book was opened. Look at this, which is the book of life. And the dead and, uh, and the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books, according to their works. Wait, which which books were they judged by? There's sixty six right here. This is what we're talking about. It's not just some random books that we're being judged by. It's literally this. The very word of God that most Christians never take the time to read. Look, Continue reading verse 13. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell were delivered up. <clears throat> excuse me. And death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And look at verse 15. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. I am glad that that the Bible is pure and it's true. It doesn't contradict itself but only supports itself. And from Exodus, from Genesis to Revelation, we have Scripture lining up with Scripture. I mean we're talking fifteen hundred plus years apart where they're written from each other, yet everything coincides perfectly with foreshadowing, typology, prophecy. It's all the same writers that never even knew each other. Yet they were but yet it was authored by the same God using men to write it. Amen. Amen. Brother Jim, would you open this message in a word of prayer, sir? If we turn to Philippians chapter 4 and Isaiah chapter 1, Philippians chapter 4 and Isaiah chapter 1, we'll turn a little bit this morning, but that's okay. We're here to worship, we're here to study, we're here to draw closer to the Lord. I mean, the donuts are great. I mean, they're awesome, and all the baked goods are awesome, and the fellowship is really good, but we're here to worship the Lord. Whether, whether that's through singing, maybe we'll just sing for a whole service. That's worshiping the Lord. Maybe, maybe we're just preaching for a whole service. Maybe we're just going to give testimonies for a service. It's all good. We're here to worship the Lord. Amen. The same person who denied the gospel message before the cross has the same damnation as, as the person who denies the message after the cross. And the same the person who accepts the gospel message before the cross has the exact same benefits of the person who accepts the gospel message after the cross. It's always been the same, it's never been different, and never will be. My name was written in the Lamb's Book of Life when I was seven years old. Whew, greatest day of my life. You say, Well, you can't grasp the full understanding of it. You're right. And I never will until we get to heaven. We spend the first 10,000 million years worshiping the Lord flat on our face. Amen. Paul, in Philippians chapter 4, verse 3, he mentions fellow Christians whose names are also written in the book of life. Look at this, Philippians 4, 3 says, And I entreated thee also, true yoke fellow, help uh, help those women which labored with me uh, in the gospel with Clement also and with my other fellow laborers whose names are what in the book of life. Not only is her name written in the book of life, but, but it's associated with being uh, white as snow you have to turn there but psalms 51 7 says purge me with hyssop and i should be clean wash me and i should be whiter than snow you're right there turn to isaiah chapter 1 verse 18 it says come now and let us reason together saith the lord though your sins be as scarlet they should be as white as snow though they be red like crimson they should be as wool look at this i will greatly rejoice in the lord my soul should be joyful to my god for he hath clothed me with the garments Of salvation, that's really important, guys. This this verse is really important for this morning's message, for tonight's message, amen, for for our theology, amen. For he hath clothed me with the garments of salvation. He hath covered me with the robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decketh himself with ornaments, and as a bride adorneth herself with jewels. The garment of salvation is likened directly to to wedding garments. Jump over to. Revel- uh, keep, keep your place in Isaiah. We'll be in Isaiah in a moment. But go to Revelation chapter 3 verse 5. Keep a place in Isaiah. And let's go to Revelation chapter 3 verse 5. It says he that overcometh. The same shall be clothed in white raiment. And I will not blot out his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. So who's written in the Lamb's book of life? Born again believers. Who's associated with white raiment? Born again believers. Believers. That's why how we raise our children is important. What we teach them is important. A Buddhist with good intentions can be such a good person, as far as we're concerned, can be teaching them wrong and literally damning them to hell. Uh, a Jehovah's Witness, great intentions. A Mormon could have great intentions. Uh, a, a, a Catholic person adhering to the Catholic Church's doctrines over the Word of God can have great intentions. But if they're teaching their children wrong, they're damning them to hell. Baptist pastors and preachers and evangelists and missionaries can have great intentions, but if they're not preaching the gospel, if they're not teaching correctly, they're going to literally damn people to hell because they're going to follow them. And It happens. With the best of intentions, we can all be wrong about certain things. But thankfully, we have a standard of truth that isn't held up. At Hope Baptist Church, I don't keep the word of God hidden in the office that only I can look at. and Then I let you know what it says. Denominations have done that over the years and murdered people and tortured people for trying to read the word of God. This is open for... It's a standard of truth that we can all read at any time. We can study it as much as we want to. What a beautiful thing to keep the pastor in check, the missionary, the evangelist, whatever religious group that claims they love the Lord in check because we have a standard of truth. That's why denominations and cults desperately want to change this and add to this and say other things are equal to this because if you lose a standard of truth, all of a sudden... Man is controlling the show. i got to watch what I preach because y'all can check up on me on all of this. You know what? I hope that you do. My goal is that we study our Bible. We'll be like the church at Berea, Brother John. Am I saying that right? Amen. They, they studied and they, 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 to see if these things were so. That's what we ought to be doing. Hey, is the pastor writing what he's saying? It's important. I preached a message one time: "Don't believe the pastor." <laughs> Maybe not a wise title, but I was making a point. Amen. Amen. Problem is, sometimes we let people or commentaries let us know what truth is. There's good and sincere Christians. I believe that 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 can be saved and love the Lord, born again believers. That that want to say the word of God, yet they can get steered in the wrong direction because they just trusted their pastor no matter what blindly. Or they trusted vain jangling blindly, right? Or whatever YouTube thing popped up on their screen blindly. Hey, well, this guy's right about these things. He must be right about everything biblical. I would hope that we have enough character and growth in our Christian walk that we don't just believe what Pastor Gunther says. We go home and study it. Amen. I can't stress that enough. Um, there's pastors that will tell you to never read commentaries except theirs. They literally say, don't listen to other preachers except for me. Uh, the, 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 that's a problem. <laughs> that's cultish in my opinion. And, 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 and believe me, it's more prevalent than you might realize. Sometimes you can take a clear teaching of Scripture and turn it into something else when we just assume that the commentary is always right, whether the commentary is Charles Spurgeon or the commentary of the pastor you love so dearly. Men can be wrong. With that in mind, let's look to the marriage of the Lamb. Turn to Isaiah chapter 54, verse 5. Isaiah 54, verse 5. Point number one, God is married to Israel. Say, what are you talking about? Well, it's Bible. Let's look at some scriptures to back this up. Number one, God is married to Israel. Isaiah chapter 54, verse 5. For thy maker is thine, ha- thine husband. The Lord of hosts is his name. And thy redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, the God of the whole earth, shall, be, shall he be called. For the Lord uh, hath called thee as a woman forsaken and grieved in spirit and a wife of youth. When thou wast refused, saith thy God. An interesting thing about Jewish custom is that you were considered married before the wedding ceremony actually took place. Writing of divorcement was only allowed during that uh, betrothal engagement period. That's, that's when the, the verses that we take out of context all the time in Matthew and I think Luke we're talking about what Jesus said. Well, as Moses said, writing of uh, divorcement, divorcement for this this fornication or whatever, however he writes it. He's referring back to what Moses said in the Old Testament. But so let's look back at what the Old Testament says. It's talking about the betrothal period, the engagement period, never after the ceremony. That's another message in of itself. Amen. You can see it on YouTube. I preached it before. But writing divorcement was only allowed during the engagement process, immediately after the wedding, if the wife was not a virgin. There's a whole series of things they had to do to prove that out. Turn to uh, Matthew chapter 1, verse 19. Matthew chapter 1, verse 19. I want to highlight a, 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 a old, old Jewish term before I move on in the message. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 1, verse 19 says, Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man, not willing to make her a public example, was minded to put her away privily. Who are we talking about? Mary and Joseph. This, that's like Christmas story verses right there we'll be hitting those up in a month or so amen but it says specifically uh he was minded to put her away privily minded is he was thinking about it privily means like right away and to put her away means to divorce her to put her away was a a divorce term back then Uh, look at matthew 19 verse 9 matthew 19 verse 9 Jesus himself says, and I say unto you, whosoever shall put away his wife, except it be for fornication, and shall marry another, committeth adultery, and whoso marrieth her which is put away, doth commit adultery. That's an old term for divorce. You don't have to turn there, but Malachi chapter two sixteen says, for the Lord, the God of Israel, saith that he hateth putting away. God hates divorce. God hates it. He despises it. Joseph was contemplating divorce, but God sent an angel to give Joseph peace of mind. And amen, thank God for that. So back back to the marriage of the lamb. I just wanted to clarify the terminology for him. Back to the marriage of the lamb. Turn to Romans chapter 9, verse 6. Romans chapter 9, verse 6. Just because God is saying that he is the husband of Israel, it doesn't mean that the wedding has taken place yet. Just because God says that he is the husband of Israel doesn't mean that the wedding has taken place yet. Mary and Joseph were considered husband and wife even though there was no wedding that had taken place yet. Why would he have to put her away privily when they weren't even married? Because they were considered married at the time. It just wasn't official. It wasn't consummated. There was no ceremony. In the book of Isaiah... We just saw that God proclaimed that He was married to Israel, but but remember what Paul said. Look at this, Romans chapter nine, verse six. Not as though the word of God had taken none effect, for they are not all Israel, which are of Israel, neither because they are the seed of Abraham are they all children, but in Isaac shall thy seed be called. That is, they which are the called of, uh, I'm sorry, that they which are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God, but the children of the promise. Are counted for the seed. I'm really trying to go slow here to, to emphasize the fact that not everyone that is part of, that was part of the Jewish nation is married to God. God is not married to physical Israel, national Israel, like 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 they would always want to uh, uh, jump to that that John the Baptist planted when John the when they. The Pharisees and Sadducees came to John the Baptist at the river where he's baptizing. John, John the Baptist says, I don't even want to hear about your endless genealogies. I don't even want to hear about it. He's saying, I don't want to hear, I get it, your father of Abraham of so-and-so, of so-and-so, of so-and-so. You think you're somebody special just because you're national Jewish. Paul's saying not everyone that's national Jew is Jew." God, what wasn't married, isn't married to the nationality of the Jewish people. He's married to the spiritual Jew. He's married to the spiritual Israel. I can't stress that enough. There's doctrines that that can't see that. And you wind up in some crazy dispensational beliefs. Amen. But it was the same back then as it is today. It doesn't matter who your parents are. It doesn't matter what your nationality is. It doesn't matter if your dad's a pastor or if you're a missionary on a foreign field. If you don't accept the Son of God for who he is, the Savior of all the sins of all mankind in your personal Savior, there's no salvation, there is no eternal life, whether before the cross or after the cross. It doesn't matter if you lived a good life. It doesn't matter if you uh, say you love the Lord. It doesn't matter if you, 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 you... You claim Christianity. None of those things matter. Was there a moment moment in your life where you accepted Christ as your own personal Savior? Because if not, there's no eternal life for you. If you're relying on anything that you've done or being good enough or just saying that you believe in God and going to church, that does not grant you heaven. James 2.19 says, Thou believest that there is one God thou doest well. He said the devils also believe and tremble. Believing in God does not give us salvation. I believe that is across many denominations and across the the culture of America today. Probably back in the Bible days as well. But a lot of good people that do a lot of good works for the Lord. I would dare say prophesy in his name and do many wonderful works in his name. But are not saved because they never accepted Christ as their personal savior. Matthew 7, 21, not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter in the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. And somebody would say, well, I do a lot of good things. That's not the will of God. Yeah, amen. Well, there'll be crowns and there'll be a lot of blessings for, for good things that we've done, but not until you're saved. You got to get saved before there's any kind of, you can do all the kind of good works in the world. There's going to be nothing but stubble and hay. It's going to burn up one day. It'd be just worth nothing. Doyle Lawson sang a song I used to always listen to. I think I might have sang it when my brother was younger, but it says, The only thing that matters is that you've been born again. Has the blood been applied? Are you forgiven of your sins? And when he opens up the book of life, and into your heart he stares, the only thing that matters as if your name is written there. There's going to be a lot of denominations and a lot of religions that claim the Christian name that will not enter heaven. That their name is not in the book of life. Good people. Good people that are probably do better works than many pastors or Christians that are that are plugged in and doing things in the church. It doesn't matter how many good things we do. That does not grant us eternal life. Amen. So. Turn to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. Ephesians 5, 22. In the Jewish law, marriage is performed in two specific acts. You have, you have the betrothal, number one. Number two, you have the ceremony. Much, it's a lot like we do today. We got, you, have an, you have an engagement, right? And man, me and Rachel had a wonderful engagement period. Uh, a year and a half? A year? How long was it? <laughs> it seemed real long. How long before I said I love you? Was it a year and a half from dating to marriage? Dating engagement? We'll go with that. Dating to proposal. And then six months of engagement. Yeah. Six long months. Long months. (laughs) But that's what we do today, right? There's an engagement process, and there's a, there's, a, there's a wedding ceremony, right? Except back then, Jewish custom, they were considered married. They were called husband and wife, and between uh, the betrothal and the ceremony itself, that is when divorce was permitted. Study it out. Study it out. Amen. It's, uh, uh, we, we refer to the law of first mentions because the Bible is its own uh, study source. So when Jesus references something in the Old Testament, we'll go back to the Old Testament and see what he was talking about. And, and that's where we get our definition of divorce. <clears throat> what we do nowadays is we just want to look at the one verse where Jesus referenced the one verse. He just took one little clip of the law of Moses, and then we want to define what divorce is according to that. Let me move on. <clears throat> Amen. But God is the husband. This is what I'm trying to really get across because it's really important. God is the husband of true Israel. But the wedding hasn't taken place yet. That is yet to come. That's important to understand. That's really important to understand. Number one, God is married to Israel. Number two, Paul parallels the church with the lamb's wife. Turn to Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. I believe we're already there. Wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands as unto the Lord. Man, I feel like we should just preach that all day long. What a wonderful message. All the men will say amen. Uh, Ladies will throw tomatoes at me. Amen. Amen. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so the wives been to their own husbands and everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Now, now just, just just, before we go any further, I mean, before we even go any further, it's not hard to understand what's the context here. God's talking about husbands and wives and the roles they play, and, he, and then if you were to do a study, right, on this, you'd see that he's spending some time talking about wives. This is how it needs to be. Then it goes to husbands, be like husbands. This is how it needs to be. You need to give your wife for the your bride, amen. And it, it's a beautiful thing. God never told the woman that she had to give her life for him. That He told the man he had to give his life for her, amen. That's a whole other. But the context here is marriage. That's undeniable. Verse 26, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but it should be holy and without blemish, so ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself, for no man hath yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. For we are members of his body and of his flesh and of his bones. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined into his wife. And they too shall be one flesh. Look at this. He ties it all together to be real simple. It's a great mystery, but I speak concerning Christ and the church. Paul's being really, really clear. He's likening the church to marriage in Christ. It just doesn't get much more plain than that. Um, we got a few moments. Turn to Second Corinthians 11.2. 2 Corinthians 11.2. 2. 2 we'll turn a couple more times and we'll be done in a few minutes. 2 Corinthians 11.2. You have Paul writing here and uh, he's, he's literally talking about the same things. The marriage, the church, the, the God's church being the bride. He says, For I am jealous over you with a godly jealousy. For I have espoused you to one husband that I may present you as a chaste virgin to Christ. How could Paul be talking about the church being a bride to Christ if God was married to Israel? Because some people want to divide that up and make it all kinds of separate. No, no, no. God was never married to national Israel. God was married to True Israel, spiritual Israel. And God made it very clear that we are the benefits of the seed of Abraham. We are part of the benefits of the seed of Abraham. We are true Israel all day long. The bride of Christ is. Number one, God is married to Israel. Number two, Paul parallels the church with the Lamb of God. Number three, John describes the bride. Look at Revelation chapter 19 verse 7. Two more scriptures we'll turn to this morning. Revelation chapter 19, verse 7. John literally describes the bride. It says, let us be glad and rejoice and give honor to him. For the marriage of the Lamb is come, and his wife hath made herself ready. You know, there's some that will say that that is a works-based salvation because... Because we had to do something. We had to get ourselves ready. There are actually, um, Ben works with uh, extreme Calvinists. They would just call themselves Calvinists. Uh, that, that they believe that in us, in us thinking that we have to accept Christ, in, 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 that, that that is a work. Therefore, there, that, 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 that now we're making it a workspace salvation because we're acknowledging that, there's a, that we're sinners in need of a Savior. That's not works. That's accepting the free gift of salvation. Not works. But a Calvinist has been taught from their pastor, from theologians, from commentaries that, nope, there's no choice in the matter. Therefore, they're going to look through everything through that lens, that Calvinistic lens that says, no matter what they read, that talks about free choice, no matter what they read about Paul begging people to come to the gospel, why would Paul even preach anyways if God's just going to choose people to come to the Lord? But if you're going to read everything through the lens of whatever somebody else taught you, you're going to so easily slip into false doctrine. And that goes for this guy too, especially this guy. And by the way, we're not the one that puts on our salvation. Christ is the one who puts on our white raiment. Amen. We just have to accept it. The bride has made herself ready by allowing Christ to do it. There's no more work involved than there is to walk down an aisle and get saved. These are things that Calvinists will say. Well, you had to walk down the aisle, so you didn't really. That was works based, so it's not really salvation. Are you kidding me? You want to split hairs? I think I was talking with Brother Rob the other day talking about this very thing. Uh, If somebody steps out of their seat to come down the aisle to the altar to get saved, they've decided they're going to go get saved. In my opinion, if the rapture happened at that moment, I believe that they go to heaven. I believe they're saved once they decide, I want to get saved, before they even pray the prayer. Revelation chapter 19, verse 8. Revelation 19, verse 8. And to her, and this interesting, to her, not him. Bright of Christ is the language here. And to her was granted that she should be arrayed in fine linen, clean and white, for the fine linen is the righteousness of the saints. Who's the righteousness of the saints? It's the he, or it's the her and the she in this verse. Isn't that interesting? The bride is always a she, regardless of what uh, antichrist thinkers want you to think. So white raiment is given specifically to who? The righteousness of the saints. And what is the lamb's bride given to wear white raiment? Look at verse 9. And he saith unto me, Right Blessed are they which are called into the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he saith unto me, These are the true saints of God. What is the, what is the job of the husband? To make ready the home, to prepare for the marriage. Uh, to set things in order. T- turn to John fourteen it It'll be that la- last verse. I bought an apartment um, four or five months before we got married. And I put Rachel in it. Oh, my notes say six months prior to the wedding. Rachel, is that correct? <laughs> Golly. Our honeymoon was like six weeks, wasn't it? It's one week. <laughs> amen amen that's what a husband does you get engaged man you prepare things you make ready the home you get things in order you, you, you do it thoughtfully you do it on purpose you, you have there's a preparation involved if it's done right if it's done right look what Jesus said in John 14:1. he said let not your heart be troubled Believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions, and if it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. Church, there's a marriage that's going to happen in heaven. And if you get to go, you're going to be part of the bride of Christ. You say, well, we're the body of Christ. We are both. We are both. Rachel is my bride. When we get married, we become the same body. We become one flesh. Both my body and both my bride. God set these things in order. God uses... There's a book... But B- Dolmage wrote just of Jesus' parables. I've been getting through them. It's pretty neat. Just, just the parables of Jesus. And he spoke a lot in parables. And he spoke a lot in illustration and typology. And, and to do that, to make things easier for us to understand. And he used marriage. And Paul used marriage. Talking about the relationship between Christ and his church. The relationship between Christ and his bride. The relationship between Christ and born-again believers. The relationship between Christ and true Israel. That's important. I hope that anyone on the side of my voice that is not part of true Israel this morning will make the decision to say, You know what? I've been trusting in whatever the doctrines of the church say. I've been trusting in just whatever my pastor says. I've never actually looked at the Word of God and accepted Christ for who He is as my personal Savior. I can't point to a specific time where God changed my life and I became a new creature, Second Corinthians five seventeen. If you're not saved, I pray you get saved this morning. Amen. Let's close in a word of prayer. Dear Lord, I pray that you move in the next few moments of this invitation time. Lord, I thank you, God, for allowing me to be uh, part of the bride of Christ. Lord, what a blessing, what a privilege. Uh, so much that we don't understand. Paul said it's a great mystery, but he's talking about the church in the marriage.